It's nice to see you today. So we've been going through Proverbs together. We're picking out major themes in Proverbs. The first week was like an introduction, and uh, this is our last week. This is part eight of our eight-part series. One of the major themes that you see in Proverbs is about work. It's that one book of the Bible that constantly talks about work, succeeding at work, those type of things. There's verse after verse about the type of worker you are and the payoff for that or the lack of work and the negative results of that. You know, you can spend probably about 100,000 hours working. That's 40% of your waking hours working. So that's a long time. It's the most, in your waking hours, it's the most significant amount of time that you put anything into. So it's important to God. You know, obviously, whatever you put the most time into is going to affect your life the most, too. You know, your friends, the influences there. So God wants to be a, a part of your work life. A hair survey found in 1973, the average American spent 40 hours a week at work. Today, it's 47 hours a week. So it's increased seven hours. Whatever happened to the 40-hour work week? It's, it's, it's not happening like that anymore. If you're a professional, you average working 52 hours a week. If you're a small business owner, you average working 57 hours a week. You're going to spend more time working and thinking about work and commuting back and forth to work than you are like vacationing and weekends and, and uh, eating and going out. I mean, it dominates your life. The most, the most dominating thing in your life as far as time goes, is your work. It takes your time. So, knowing that, God wants you to succeed at work. Look at what he says in Proverbs 16.3. Commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. There's a guarantee. It's a promise. It says, then it will succeed. It's not a maybe. But the question is, commit your work to the Lord. What does that mean? There's a condition involved. It's not automatically saying that you're going to succeed at work. You first have to commit your work to the Lord. What does that mean to commit my work to the Lord? Well, we're going to look at four things that Proverbs shows us, that Solomon shows us on how to do that. So in your notes, you can fill in the blank. Number one, seek God's direction. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says, the Lord is pleased when good men pray. One of the things that's going to affect your life, any area of your life that's important is prayer. In other words, you bring God into it. You bring God into your marriage. You bring God into your family. You bring God into your work. It pleases God when good people are praying. You can circle that word prayer. Proverbs 16, 20 says, He who plans a thing will be successful. Plans. You also have to plan. A godly man, a godly woman, when they approach work, it's prayer plus planning. It's never prayer alone. That's foolish. You still plan out. But also I think it's foolish if I make all my plans and I don't pray. I don't get God involved. Prayer and planning go together. You have to have a plan. It is not spiritual to approach things without a plan and say, well, we're just following God's guidance. No, that's not. Because God would not teach you to plan if he, wanted, if he didn't want you to plan. That is God's guidance to plan things out. On a football team, 
you're not going to be very successful without a plan. You have a game plan. You, you plan out certain plays. You practice things in a certain way to score that touchdown. The team doesn't just get together and say, hey, you know, we haven't practiced before. We just lift weights and run, and now we're going to play the game. No, there's a plan. And you plan out. And you, and you plan out situations. And that's how you score. That's how you win. You're not going to be successful in any part of life without a plan. And I believe that you're not going to have God's blessing on any part of your life without the prayer where you're seeking God and his direction. So you want to seek God's direction. God, what do you want me to do with my job? Some of you, if you just ask that question, you already know the answer. God, what do you want me to do with my job? You might be doing something that you know you have no business being a part of. Or you know there's something that you're supposed to be doing, but you've never gotten around to it. And you say, God, what do you want me to do? And then you know the answer. Sometimes you don't know the answer, but you're constantly seeking God in his direction for work. In Proverbs 13, 16, it says, A wise man thinks ahead, a fool doesn't, and even brags about it. Do you know anybody like that? They don't think ahead and they even brag about it? That's pretty sad, right? It shows how far away they are from understanding the wisdom of God. Maybe you hate to organize. So, like me, for example, when I go on vacations, a lot of times I don't want to do a lot of planning. I'm on vacation, I just kind of want to say, hey, maybe we should go here next. Hey, because it's vacation time. So it's more fun, it's more flat, flex. But you can't live life that way. In life, you have to have a plan. Or else you're not going to get anywhere. So there's something about knowing what you're shooting for. See, seeking God. Saying, God, what do you want me to do? Clearly understanding it and clearly going for it. The planned out life is what gets things done. It's thinking ahead. Successful people are successful because they thought further ahead than the competitor. And because they were able to think further ahead and plan further ahead, they're the ones that end up succeeding. You want to be the person that succeeds. So you seek God. You pray. But you also plan and think ahead. Ask God, where, where do you want me to be in 15 years? And think about that. Where do I think God would want me to be in 15 years? What do you think God wants me to be? Like, what do, what do I think God wants me to be in 15 years from now? What would it take for me to get from here to there? Have a strategy. You know, have a plan. Seek God's direction and then plan it out. Write it down. Know what your goals are. I believe God wants me to be there, so I'm going to pursue it. Then you leave the res results up to God. But what you don't do is just sit around and wait, and wait, and wait. Guaranteed failure. Pray and wait, pray and wait, pray. guaranteed failure. There's Bible verses that say, stop praying and go do it. Because there, there's a point that you say, I know what God wants me to do. I've got to just get up and do it. I've got to go for it. I've got to stop delaying. Number two, sharpen your skills. Develop the talent, the ability that God's given you. Sharpen your skills. Never stop learning. If you want to succeed in life, you never stop learning. I hope that you didn't finish your education and think, oh, I'm done now. No, you're never done with education. It's a continual part of your life. In Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, it says, if your axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. What will bring success? Skill. You can circle that word. Skill. This verse is saying work smarter, not harder. 
still brings success. If the axe is dull, you're going to have to work so much harder. So it's saying sharpen the axe. Sharpen the axe. That's working smarter. It's not very smart for me to be chopping wood with a dull axe. The smart thing to do is sharpen it. And then the skill is going to work better. What can you do to sharpen your axe? What can you do to sharpen your skills? What can you do to improve what you're doing so you move up? So that you're successful in your work. That you're the one moving up the ladder, not down. Develop your skills. You see this throughout the Bible. Joseph, Daniel, David. And they were in tough situations. They both, all three of those guys rose to the top in really hard situations. Why? Because they kept learning. They kept studying. They kept growing. And that's why they rise to the top. It tells you, if you're learning and studying, even if our country started going downhill, it doesn't mean you have to go downhill. You can still be on the cutting edge. You can still grow and learn and rise to the top in the middle of hard times. In fact, it could be the middle of hard times that God uses to get you to the top. But you're always sharpening your skills. Are you more valuable to your business today than you were a year ago? You've had a whole year to get sharper. You've had a whole year to learn new stuff, to stay on the cutting edge. So you want to take advantage of that time. You want to make sure that you're becoming more valuable and more valuable as the years go by. We've all seen people at work that get outdated. And as each year goes by, they're less valuable to the company, less valuable to the company. And the new guy coming in is more valuable. But the guy that's been there 30 years should be like so far ahead. But what happened? They stopped learning. So they get outdated. They've had 30 extra years to learn stuff. They should be so far ahead that the company can hardly go without them. But a lot of times, that's what our flaw is. We don't sharpen our skills. We don't stay on the cutting edge. Are you continually learning and developing? You look at any leader, and they're always learning. They're always studying. They're always reading something. They're always trying to keep up with things because that's how you become a leader. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Benjamin Disraeli, he was a great statesman from Great Britain. He said, the one who has the most information is the one who succeeds. The great thing about that is if you don't have the information now, that's okay. Because you can always get it, especially today. It's in your hands. If you want to succeed, you say, well, I don't have enough information. Study. Study. You can get more and more information. It's up to you. And he succeeded. He was prime minister for two terms. Do you know that he was the only Jewish-born prime minister that Great Britain has ever had? So he even made it to the top when the odds were against him. Because in those days... If you were Jewish, they were kind of prejudiced toward you. And even in that environment, he rose to the top, which tells you it's amazing what you can do if you have good skills. It can break you through an environment that's against you. And sometimes the environment's against you. But you sharpen your skills, and people need you, and they're going to want you there. There's two ways to sharpen your skills. One is trial and error. That's a hard way. That's a painful way. Because with trial and error... You always are the one, you're you're learning from your own experience, so you're the one making the error all the time, and it's painful, and it takes a long, long time, but you can learn that way, 
And no matter what you do, you will learn some things that way. But the other way to learn is from other people. Not from my own mistakes, but from them. The idea behind that, and it's so much wiser, is if you're in a certain field, find out who the successful people are there and spend time with them. Talk to them. Ask them questions. You don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. Why not learn from their mistakes? Why not pick those things up? God wants you to be successful, but a lot of it is who you ask for advice or just, just asking somebody for advice. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, Get all the advice you can, and you will succeed. Without it, you will fail. It says, without the advice, you will fail. Get all the advice you can. That means take advantage of a book, take advantage of something on TV or on the Internet. You know, a friend that's very successful, talk to people. Ask them what works. It's amazing. Most people, most people... Uh, they're very successful. Nobody says, hey, can I have lunch with you? Uh, we went to a conference uh, a couple weeks ago. A few of us were there. And there's a, this pastor in India, and his church was running 60,000 people. They didn't, didn't have a building yet. They just grew and grew and grew to 60,000. And um, Hyderabad, I think, is the name of the, the city. So what happens is they finally decided uh, that they're ready to... They finally worked out a deal with the city where they could buy a piece of land big enough. And then they built this big 18,000-seat auditorium. They thought they could do three or four services there. The problem is, after they built the big auditorium and had a, a, a real place to meet, they grew 60,000 more in one year. They're now running 120,000. So they have another problem, right? Because <laughs> they have 18,000 each service inside a building, about 18,000 standing outside in the rain or whatever, just being there listening on, because they, now they have to build uh, more buildings, you know, to get them all in, and they have to come up with a plan. Good problem to have, right? Good problem. I thought because we were at a pastor's conference, it would be impossible to get to this guy, because come on, there, there's maybe 3,000 pastors there. You know, pastors are going to go up to him and want to pick his mind and talk to him and, you know, and... The first time I saw him, he was just talking to one guy. Nobody else was around him. That guy left, and I walked up to him. I talked to him and said, you know, how he, he had just talked. Originally, I was going to sit down and talk to him about, what did you do? What did you do? You know, give me some ideas. But uh, uh, it was right after he spoke. I didn't know that he was going to speak at the conference. He spoke at the conference, and he told us everything he did. But then I just went up and, and said how inspiring he was. But I, it was amazing to me how easy it was to get to him. Because most people, you have access to this guy, he's at a conference, most people never take advantage of it. They, just, they somehow think, he is so important, who am I to talk to him? And they're thinking, I would love to share with you. Just nobody, come, nobody ask. You'll be amazed. Go up to people, ask them. You'll be amazed at how willing they are to share information with you. Because most people that are successful, they want you to be successful too. They believe in success. That's how they get that way. What does it mean to commit my work to God? It means I seek his guidance. God, what do you want me to do? It means I sharpen my skills. I'm trying to get better and better. I'm always developing and improving. And the third one is share the profit. When I commit my work to the Lord, if it's God's, you know, if my work belongs to the Lord, that means the money, the profit that I'm getting belongs to him too. 
That means use the money that you get for God. You know, if, if he's the one that you're committing it to, use it for him. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflowing. There's a promise there. You honor the Lord, and he'll bless your ministry. Or he'll bless whatever you're doing, your business, I should say. But what happens is tithing. It's always a part of the Bible. They would always give the first 10% of their money to God because they were honoring him. He was involved in their business. What do the following men have in common? William Colgate, he's the founder of Colgate and Palmolive Corporation. Henry Crowell, he's the founder of Quaker Oats. William Proctor, he's the founder of Proctor & Gamble. R.G. Letourneau, he's the founder of Earth Movers, the big machinery that they use to you know, move earth. Uh, Wallace Johnson, he's the founder of Holiday Inns. Robert Welch, he's the founder of Welch Grape Juice. John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil. J.C. Penney, the founder of J.C. Penney. Trick Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. Rick Warren, he's the author of The Purpose Driven Life. They sold 60 million copies of that book. Do you know what these people all have in common? Before they got successful, they had committed to tithing. All of them. Before they got successful, they had committed to tithing. Every one of them. And God bless their business. And they all, by the way, every one of these people have a public testimony about how they committed to tithing because that's how I found out that they did it. All of them have public testimonies how they committed to tithing and how God came through and just changed everything for them. Some of them, like uh, Letourneau, the earth maker guy and uh, earth mover guy, I mean, and J.C. Penney, they were getting so blessed that they started giving 15% instead of 10. Then they started giving 20. Then they started getting 30 and 40. And J.C. Penney started giving half his money to mission work and spiritual stuff, you know, for God across the world. Half his money. And he, was still, he still had so much money, he couldn't spend it all. The um, Letourneau, the guy that, um, and Crowell, the Quaker Oats guy, and Letourneau, the guy that has the earth-moving equipment, they reached a point that they started living on 20%. And giving 80% of their money away to God's work throughout the world. Rick Warren, who sold 60 million copies of his book, he kept 10% and gave 90% of it all to missions and, and church stuff all around the world. I guess if you sell 60 million books, if you keep 10%, you probably still have $6 million probably. I, I don't know if you get a dollar a book, but you, know, you probably have a minimum of $6 million. But still, most people, if they made $60 million... They're not going to give 90% of it away. And God never tells you you have to. God says, give me 10%, you live on the 90%. That's all God says. But I think one of the reasons why these people are so successful is their heart wasn't about money. Their heart's about people and the world and love and caring. One guy, he was a young man. He began a small cheese business in Chicago. And it failed and he went into debt and, you know, things were really bad for him. And it was through a friend encouraging him, why don't you take your business and give it to God? He said, give it to God. Yeah, make God the senior partner. Say, whatever I do with this, I'm going to do it for you, God, and I'm going to do it your way. Nothing's going to be unethical. Everything's going to be geared about how would God want me to run this business. And God, you'll be the boss, and I'll just work for you. I'm going to do it your way. That's what he did. It went from him being a debt to the company becoming the largest cheese company in the world. Everybody's heard of Kraft Cheese, right? That was J.L. Kraft. 
Once he committed to God, everything turned around. He's just one example of the testimonies that you hear from each of these guys of what happened in their life. And I ask, with your business, is God your partner? Is God your partner? And don't think you have to be the owner of the company for God to be your partner. Because if I'm working someplace, I work for the Lord, and he's my partner. God, I'm going to serve this company as if I'm serving you. I'm going to work for you, Lord. I'm going to give it 100% for you. I want God to be the partner in my life. Is God involved in my work? And you think about it. If 40% of my waking hours is at work, that's 40% of my life. If God's not involved in 40% of my life, he's not involved in my life. Because you can't have God not involved in 40%. So you think, I'm going to work for the Lord. I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to handle myself and the work situation in the way that would be right. In a good moral way, in an ethical way. I'm going to do it God's way. Number four, stay with it. If you want to have success, stay with it. Persistence is a major theme in Proverbs. Over and over it says, you know, be diligent. Persevere. You know, be determined. Have endurance. It's always saying this over and over in Proverbs because Solomon knew if you want success, part of it is just don't give up. Don't give up. People give up too soon. In Proverbs 12, 24, it says, Diligence brings a man to power. Diligence brings a man to power. Diligence. That means hanging in there. I'm just not going to give up. I'm going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. Wellington, he's the guy from Great Britain that defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. And they asked him, why was your military, why was your army more successful? And he said that he had trained them to always outlast the enemy. He says, the goal isn't to defeat them. The goal is simply to never stop. Like, when it looks like they're losing, you never stop. You never stop. He said he trained them to never, ever stop. So the pressure never stopped. The pressure never stopped. The pressure never stopped. Now, everybody knows that Napoleon was a, probably a, a greater general. His knowledge of how he did things, that's why he was so good. But he went up against an army that would just never stop, never give him a break. They just constant, constant went and went and went after him. There's success in that. Because most people give up. It gets a little bit hard, and we quit. It gets a little bit difficult, and we step back. In Proverbs 21, 5, it says, Steady plodding brings prosperity. Plodding, you just keep going and going and going, and you're going to get somewhere. If you keep plodding forward, given enough time, you're going to get somewhere. You just don't stop. William Carey, who's known as the first modern missionary, they asked him what his secret of success was. And he said, because I can plod. I can just keep going. I can hang in there and keep going. Because what happens when you go to a new group of people that have never heard the gospel before, they're not going to accept you immediately because it's too weird to them. It's something they don't know. The only way that you're going to get a group of people that have never heard it before to become Christians is to hang in there. Hang in there. You have to learn their language. You have to learn their culture. You want to, like, it takes time to put a Bible into their language. I mean, it's long, hard work, but it pays off. Only if you stick with it. That's the only way. Each of us are Christians today 
because that original group of 11 Jewish men started growing and sticking with it. And then the next group and the next group. And then it eventually got to all of our cultures. Because a lot of us come from all different types of cultures. But because people never stopped sharing the gospel, we eventually got it. But if people said, oh, it takes too long, probably we wouldn't be believers today. The man that was, he wanted to be the first man to, I forget his name, to go across the English Channel in a plane. Do you know that he wrecked 10 planes before he actually made it across? It was his 11th try. You know, I think I would have given up after one wrecked plane. You know, so I would have never been the first guy to do it. But it's because he kept going and kept going. They talk about Edison. You know, Edison himself said he had an experiment. He, he did about 3,000 experiments before he finally found out how to make the light bulb work. I don't know if I would have lasted 3,000. I don't know if I would have lasted 2,999 failures. You know, that doesn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. That, oh, good enough. I'm done. It's just not going to work, you know, four times. No, he lasted. He stuck in there. The reason why he was able to make the light bulb is he didn't give up. He kept trying because he didn't see it. He didn't see 2,999 failures. He just saw, the, he saw it as an education. Okay, I understand how that works now. I understand that. And he was educating himself as he went because nobody had ever been there before. When you give up, you never succeed. All these great people, they don't give up. That's why they succeed. Do you know the average CEO in America works for that company for 17 years before they got the spot, a CEO? Come on, if you're working at the same company over, you know, for 17 straight years, probably super long hours, there's several times that you want to give up. I'm never going to make it to the top. Maybe I'll go to another company. The average CEO, 17 years. And one-fourth of all the CEOs have only been in one company their life, which means they never gave up. One out of four, they were in this company from the beginning, and they stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. So you have a 25% chance being the CEO just by never leaving the company over other people, you know. And you look at most of the people that become CEOs of another company, they find someone that's been at that company, like they've been at GE for 20 years, and they've risen to the top, but they're just not the CEO. But they know so much, so we pick them to be our CEO. Because we have a guy that's been with us for 12 years. But that guy's been 20 years. He knows way more. So sometimes just the fact that you've stayed with the company for so long and worked up, you become the CEO of another company. Because people trust people that hang in there, that don't give up, that are willing to work at it and work at it and develop and grow. That's what we want to do. We want to hang in there. What keeps us from giving up? Because everybody wants to give up at times. You know, We all get discouraged. We all get frustrated. There's times that you don't like your job and you just want to chuck it and have nothing to do with it anymore. So what keeps you motivated? There's three types of motivations. One is external motivation, a paycheck. You know, it's not anything within me. It's just external. I need a paycheck. That makes me go to work. I think we all probably wouldn't go to work if there wasn't a paycheck. So that's an external motivation. 
But there's people that get a paycheck, and that's the only motivation they have for being at work, and they're miserable. They hate their work, but they can't give it up because they need their paycheck. I don't think that God wants 40% of your waking hours to feel like that. That's a miserable way to live. So then there's people that find internal motivation where they, they feel sat, that satisfaction by working hard, you know, that internal motivation. But nobody can have internal motivation day after day after day after day, year after year. It, it, you just can't. So how, no matter how much you try to be motivated from the inside, you just can't. Year after year for 40 years, you know, day after day, it's, it's probably just not going to be there. I think what we need is eternal motivation. And whether I'm a taxi driver or a professor or a salesman or a manager or a mother at home with children, I need that eternal motivation. And I think that only comes from when you're working with, for God. That only comes when you're working for God. Man, I'm, I'm here to serve you, God. That's the only eternal motivation you can have. Colossians 3.24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Remember that the Lord will reward you, for Christ is the real master you serve. And it's interesting. When you're working for the Lord and you say, God, I just want to honor you with my life. I just want to make sure that you're pleased with me. And then you go to the company banquet at the end of the year, and you feel like you've accomplished great things, but they give the award to somebody else, and you know the truth. I said, well, I actually did half his work anyway, but he got all the credit and everything. If you're working for God and he's pleased with you, it's different. I wasn't working to make man happy. Good man can be corrupt. I was really working for God. And you know that even though deception happened, even though someone took credit for your work, you know, hey, I know the truth. I did it for God. If God's pleased with me, then someday I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, well done. Because in this world, you're going to get ripped off. There are, there are people that are ungodly. There are bosses that are going to take your credit, take credit from you and say that they, and take the credit and you know that's not just. I'm not saying you don't speak up. I'm just saying if your goal is to make man happy, you're going to, get, you're going to be miserable over and over and over again. If your goal is to make God happy, that's in your hands. That's in your hands. I can make God happy. People might do this. People might do that. But I can make God happy. I can make sure I do it God's way. I can make sure that when I stand before God, he says, well done. Christians ought to be the most dedicated workers because we're working for God. It's a testimony of my relationship with God. In general, when a Christian does that, they are the ones rising to the top. So I ask, have you committed your work to God? Do you want to be successful? Are you seeking God's guidance through prayer and planning? Are you sharpening your skills? Do you share the prophets? Do you never give up? Maybe you're ready to give up. I'll tell you something about people. People do not want you to succeed in general. In general, people do not want you to succeed. 
You know why? They get jealous. They do. Your friends. Isn't that weird? Don't you think the friends and family that are closest to you would be the ones most excited if you succeed? A lot of times they're not. They get jealous. You want to have a lot of friends and you want people to really like you? Be mediocre. You know why? They don't see that as a threat. When you're mediocre and they're with you, they feel like, oh, well, I I haven't done anything with my life either. I'm okay. But when their buddy who they see as a peer, who they see as an equal, shoots to the top, they get jealous. So it's amazing how people are. Some of your friends that you think love you so much, they're the ones that get the most jealous when you're doing great. It could be family members. It could be anybody, right? The people that see you as a peer, they get jealous when you're shooting to the top. So you can set a goal. I'm going to make people happy. I'm going to be mediocre and everybody feels comfortable with me. Or you can say, no, I'm not going to be mediocre. I'm going to shoot for the top and I'm going to move with the movers. Because even though 90% of them might be jealous or whatever, there's going to be 10% that are excited and they're going to move with you. But I don't want to be mediocre. This is a poem I heard just recently. I've said it before, though. I just refound it. I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right, and I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true, and worried and blue and worn through and through, but I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I will never, never yield. What, lie down in the field and surrender my shield? No, I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song, let legions of wrong, oh God, keep me strong, and I'll never let go. Are you tempted to let go of your work, your marriage, your kids, your school, your family, health, your finances? Successful people, they just don't quit. They just don't quit. They don't know how to give up. They just keep trying, and they keep trying, and they keep trying. Persistence. Most people that really make it great don't make it until after their 40s. Do you know that? The people that really make it great don't make it until after. There are some exceptions to the rule. But almost 95% or more don't make it until after their 40s. But most people give up before their 40s. They're 20 years old, and they're so excited, and they have big dreams. And when it doesn't come fast enough, they give up, and they just think, well, I guess that's never going to happen. Just the fact that you persevere gives you a chance to make it because hardly anybody's going to make it before the 40s because it's just life experience. You need that 20 years of training in the world to learn how to do it. You know, from after college, you need another 20 years just to learn how to really do it. So don't give up. Don't ever give up. God wants you to be successful at your work. God wants your work to be an example to the world of his love. Let's pray about this, and let's commit our work to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we want to seek your direction. And Lord, as we go back to work this week, we're making a commitment to pray and to plan so that we can be the best that we can at what we do. And Lord, each of us, we're making a commitment. If there's certain things that I can do that sharpen my skills, I'm making a commitment to do those things so I can get better at what I do. 
And Lord, I want to get advice from other people so I can learn more and more. And Lord, I commit to use the prophets for you. That everything I have belongs to you. I'm going to use my time for you. I'm going to use my money for you. God, I know I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. And Lord, I'm making a commitment not to give up. I'm never going to give up. I'm going to just keep going and going and pursuing what you want me to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.